Welcome to Our Political Moment, the stories behind the structure. Each episode, we bring you stories from around Philadelphia that demonstrate how structural oppression is ingrained in our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Leah Sarantino, and today we're going to hear from two women fighting for a fair process for service workers in the hotel industry. The impact that unions have on the stability for workers and their family is immeasurable. My single mother is part of Local 54, which represents hospitality workers in Atlantic City, New Jersey. The consistency, safety, and support of the union allowed my mom to provide a life for us that helped pave the way for me to go to college. She's now retired with dignity and security because of her pension and savings. My mom can support herself, where many other people her age are left struggling. Unfortunately, not everyone in the hospitality industry is unionized. Our storyteller is Catherine Payne, also known as Kat. Kat is currently a housekeeper in a non-union hotel working two jobs. And in her story, she highlights the impact that's had on her life. My name is Catherine Payne. I work at the Philadelphia Marriott downtown. Been employed there for eight years, going on nine. I'm a housekeeper. I enjoy my job very much, but it's very difficult. I've been employed in Philadelphia for, of course, years, ever since I was 15 years old. But when I became married and I had two children and my, my ex-husband wasn't working, I took on the financial responsibility on my own. And then when we became separated, I was taking care of two households where my husband stayed because my children lived with my ex-husband and I worked outside the home in my own place. So I had to work two jobs in order to afford to take care of two homes and also to pay for whatever they needed, clothes, school supplies, whether I had to buy uh, washer and dryers or things like that. I had to work two jobs because I wasn't getting paid enough. I used to work in the office. I used to do office work and different things like that, but the money wasn't enough. And that's where I had to have a second job when it started with just that level. Now, when it came to the time when someone told me about the service industry, because with office work, the work isn't always consistent. Jobs close down, you have to you know, go to another one, and I wasn't getting consistent work. So someone told me about being a housekeeper because they said, oh, they get paid good money, and that way, you know, I said, wow, if I get paid good money plus it's job security, why not? So when I started to do that, I thought that it would be enough and it wasn't because you know children get older and different things happen rent goes up because we were renting where they were and where i was it was rent so sometimes the rent would go up of course kids eat and they need things so i always worked two jobs in philadelphia it's just that you never get enough money the the wage that we have now is like seven dollars an hour or seven something an hour so you always had to work two jobs it was never enough money when i worked in the office the highest i got paid was maybe like 10 or 12 dollars so when I became a housekeeper, I started at thirteen seventy-five. To me, I thought that was fantastic. Uh, I was a bartender first before I went into the hotel industry. I went from the office to the bartending because bartending, from what I was told, was supposed to make enough money with tips and everything that you'll be able to make enough money to feed your family. And I did that for about maybe like 10 years or more just doing bartending. And then from there, the bars started closing down in Philadelphia. So and here I was again trying to look for steady work, and I was told about housekeeping. And that's how I transitioned to become a housekeeper, because I went from working just off of tips, $35 for the day, $40 at night with your tips, to being paid a weekly paycheck. That sounded great for me. So it did get better in time, but then again, 
fell into shortcomings. It just wasn't enough. And that's how I got into bartending again. I don't have a day off. I work every day. I work seven days a week. I work maybe 12 hours a day at the hotel because I get there at eight and I might leave at eight. And then at the bar, I work eight hours a day. And sometimes I have to work double days because they don't allow me to be off at the hotel because they need everybody. So I end up working double days. Because I don't have a day off, I get like uh, a couple of hours of sleep and I wake up early so I can do things to start my day, whether I have to go to the laundry. If I work during just a day and I just work one shift, I, I go to bed at nine, I can get like, like maybe like five or six hours of sleep and I have to get up again. For me and my children, the way we spend time is if I get home around nine or 9.30 at night, I get about an hour time where I can talk and catch up and see how their day is going. I have a son, he's autistic. My daughter helps me out with my son. He also suffers from seizures. So she takes care of him full time herself, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She's on call to take care of him while I'm at work doing the two jobs. We just catch up from eight to maybe like 10 o'clock or eight to nine. We catch up and we talk, and sometimes if she needs to talk, it might be 11 or 12 o'clock at night because we just be talking and she has to vent. I be venting. We just be catching up, and then it's back to work for her, back to work for me. Her work is taking care of my son and taking care of the household, going to the market, like doing everything, taking him to doctor's appointments, and then I pick up. If she needs me, I pick up the slack. So we don't really have too much time together. We try to grab time together. This past December, the city of Philadelphia approved the Fair Work Week bill, requiring employers to give workers two weeks advance notice of their schedules and offer predictability pay if schedules change after that. It also would require employers to offer available shifts to existing employees rather than hiring new ones, providing more part-time employees with full-time work. Kat was a part of the Fair Work Week fight and shares her thoughts on the outcome. Oh, that was very exciting and it was very rewarding because to see the minimum wage go up, to see the scheduling as far as like we're getting two weeks in advance notice so that people can plan their lives, make appointments or different things like that was really great. A lot of people struggled with paying bills or even maintaining a home because they didn't know when they had to work. So the Fair Work Week really helped people that was in the retail industry and the service industry to be able to get money, like to have a workable wage, because you wouldn't want somebody calling you and you're counting on this money saying, hey, don't come in. Even as a hotel worker, we had days where they would say, you know, we don't need you to come in. You can miss like two or three days at the hotel when it gets really slow. Like right now, we're slow. I just got a five-day work week, but when it's not, you struggle to pay bills. Your gas can get turned off. You have to make a decision between utilities or food. I need medicine for my heart. I have to pay for that. Even though I do pay a copay, that's still money, <laughs> you know. Fair Work Week was very rewarding, very exciting to be a part of that because it's not just helping me out, my family. It's helping out everybody. This is for the future of independence for Philadelphians. We don't have to totally rely on welfare. It gives us more of a sense of pride when you're able to make your money because it's people that want to work. We're not lazy people. We need the welfare because he wasn't getting the hours that we need. We need job security. What Kat talks about in her story is not unique for many Philadelphians trying to survive in our city. She's hard at work doing two jobs to maintain stability for her family. In our interview by co-host Kelly Morton, Kat is joined by Erlene, a longtime union organizer. Erlene Bly starts off by telling us how she got into union organizing, and both women highlight the importance and power of workers coming together. 
I'm Earlene Bly. I'm a housekeeper. I've been in the housekeeping business industry for 27 years. I spent the last nine years at the Wyndham, which was formerly the Holiday Inn. I worked in a lot of non-union shops, including the Marriott, the Lowe's, Doubletree, Ritz-Carlton, all of them, and never knew that it was anything wrong until I got to the Wyndham. We had the audit system. If you didn't get a score of 100, well, actually, they didn't start writing you up until, unless you had under 80. A lot of ladies was getting under 80 because of managers that didn't like them. When I finally got written up for it and I knew that I was a meticulous housekeeper and I called the union rep like, what are we going to do about this? It was explained to me that the workers are the ones with the power. And I didn't understand that at first, but I had to organize my coworkers. I got a petition together and I went and talked to everyone, even people I did not like. But when you fighting for a common cause, that's when you can bring people together. I went to every department because it was affecting every department, not just housekeeping. They elected me to deliver the petition. I stood up in the meeting, now this is everybody in there, you know, GM, the HR director, the each department head. Basically, I stood up, my heart beating out my chest. I turned around and everybody stood up with me. All of a sudden, I just felt like I was like, hmm, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I got this. And I mean, it really made me feel good to see that I wasn't standing up there by myself. They stood up with me and it just took off from there. I read the petition out. We demanded a labor management meeting to resolve this issue. We stood against that audit system. We fought against it. We got rid of it. We got the two ladies, their jobs back. Everybody got retro pay. They lost work time. And every write-up that stemmed from that audit system was thrown out because it was biased. Ever since then, mm -hmm. I was just like, whoa, this is what the union can do? So we don't need favoritism. We need protection, and we need to have a union. That's why we're fighting mm -hmm. for this fair process, because I've seen too many people lose their jobs, quit the job, giving up. I'm still fighting to keep my job every day. I mean, that is fantastic that she was able to get those jobs back and she was able to fight for her rights and have a voice. I love your story about going in there and feeling like you were one person and having everybody behind yes. you. Because yes. that's the power of a union. But when we consider how unions started, there was a huge imbalance of power between the people who owned companies and factories and the people who were working at those uh, factories and, and corporations. And the unions were created to try to shift that power imbalance and give workers more power in mm -hmm. those workplace situations. Uh, so there was that protection that mm -hmm. you're talking about. It strikes me that over the past century, while all of these gains have been made by unions, not just for union employees, but for all employees, things mm -hmm. like a weekend, things like a reasonable amount of hours to work, child labor laws, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. things like this that have helped all workers in America. The people who have power, they're threatened by unions. I think that we've seen a shift trying to demonize unions and yes. make them bad and make them be perceived as bad mm -hmm. by workers. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, how have you seen people be manipulated into believing that unions are bad? At our job, because we're fighting for a fair process, a lot of people are told that we're going to lose our 401k. We have something called the mini loans that we use one times when it's when you don't have any money, you can have the mini loans. You borrow $500. They said, if you join the union, you won't be able to get the mini loans anymore. They usually hire from within. So if they needed extra help or whatever, they would use, like, a housekeeper can be a banquet server. A banquet server can be a housekeeper. They can work at the front desk. They can be a bellman. So that way it keeps everything all together. Well, they're telling people that if you join the union, you can no longer be double-coded. And they also tell people that if you join a union, you're going to get fired, 
or if you try to organize it, we're fighting for a fair process. So anybody that's trying to fight for the fair process or get it, anybody involved is going to get fired. So they manipulate people like that. And they also say that the company's going to close down. I work at Demerit. Demerit doesn't like us, so they're going to shut this hotel down, and we're all going to lose their job. And we have workers that were in unions where they said that five years after they got the union, the place just closed down and they got rid of all the workers. They also say how the unions are corrupt. They say how they take your money. They telling people that they have to pay $50 a week in union dues and why do we have to pay so much and it doesn't do anything. So they make it seem like it's a criminal extortion ring. You know, that's how they make it <laughs> seem like, like those are some of the things that they do to manipulate people. So that's why we're having such a hard time. What does it mean to you fight for a fair process? When you're fighting for a fair process, it's basically saying you want to be able to organize and talk to your colleagues to find out if everybody even want to be in a union because you don't know if everybody mm -hmm. want that. But you want to do it free of intimidation. Yes. Free of threats. Yes. So the same thing that you're talking about, the anti-union campaign, mm -hmm. is what we're saying. A fair pro process is free of all of that. Mm -hmm. That means that you're going to be neutral and let the workers make a decision. That's all that means. Well, we had an example one time where we had the union people come and they had like a big rally. We were inviting people to come out to the rally. Like, just come on outside and just join the rally. Like, the union people are here. You can talk to them. You can ask questions. And when people were coming outside the building, they were managers. Like, all the management was out. They had security outside the building. HR director. HR director was out there. All the managers from every department was out there. So when people came out, and they saw the managers, they would look and see the managers and they would they would run from the hotel or they would leave. The, you know, they were scared because you see managers looking at you. They didn't want to be seen as even having an interest in just seeing what was going on. And that's the struggle that we have. With management, they are intimidating people just by standing there because the management is making it where we can't even talk to each other. They're dividing people. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of hostility. So that's making it hard. It's not fair. What we're seeing here in the fight for a fair process is that there is such a huge imbalance still. Their ability to threaten and to intimidate while the process is happening. Mm -hmm. Yes. There is a threat present. Mm -hmm. What is the other risk if the union doesn't get started, if there's not a fair process to put, put a union in place at the hotel? What I can say as an organizer is that when I was out and I was trying to organize CAT, or if I was organizing anybody that I was, you know, that's on my committee, what I say to them is this process is a decision that you're making. We let them know exactly what is going to happen. Because, of course, companies do not want to give up their power. Yes, you can be fired if you're not doing your job. We tell people that because they don't want the union in there, of course, they're going to threaten you. They're going to nitpick. They're going to try to find every little thing they can to try to get rid of you. But if you're a good worker and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's going to make that process even harder. But this is something you have to be willing to do. You have to be diligent about your job. To be in this process, you have to consciously make a decision to say, is this worth it? You're putting your livelihood at risk. If you lose that job, mm -hmm. that's a big loss. Yes. But it's also, this is worth it. Having a voice on my job and having that job protection, they can't just let me go when they feel like it on a whim. Mm -hmm. For people like Kat that are still there, they have to make a conscious decision to say, I'm willing to fight for this. This is something that's worth fighting for because, I mean, you can make a career out of this. 
you can be it. You know, you got people that's been there for 20 and 30 years. But when they retire, they don't really have anything to retire on. There are risks that come with fighting for a fair process. At our job, what is being told to the workers is, you'll be okay. You just have to find your way around the problems that you're having. I told them, until we get a union, it's always going to be you and me have this problem. With the union, it's we have a problem. We need to have the union because this individualized protection where you fight for your own rights doesn't work. The manager has to like you. The manager has to be moved by your story on why you're having problems on the job. Why do you need it raised? Why do you need the conditions to change? The union, it, it knocks all that down. That's what we need. That individualized trying to work and fight for yourself doesn't work because they can knock you over. They can fight you. They can fire you. They determine it. You don't have a voice. You can try to find a way to manipulate it, but it works better if you have a, a whole team of people. I'm constantly fighting every day to keep my job. I am not relaxed on my job at all. And being an organizer makes it even harder. They make you feel as if you're a target now that we're or trying to organize or trying to fight for a fair process. We are sticking out like a sore thumb. It's like walking through a minefield mm -hmm. because they know that we're trying to organize people. What is that like to be organizing while also needing this job and needing a second job? It takes a lot because, again, I'm not getting any rest. So not only am I working two jobs, I'm trying to organize people. We have meetings that we have to meet and organize, and we get training as to how to be better organizers. So that's time. On my days off, not only do I have my other day-to-day -day household responsibilities, trying to upkeep, washing my hair, just washing my hair, maybe getting my nails done. That is not being done. <laughs> so I look ridiculous right about now. <laughs> I, do, I, do not belong out, I don't belong out in public. <laughs> it's very trying. I'm tired. Like I fall asleep in meetings a lot. I fall asleep in the car when we're making visits. I'm surprised I retain any information. We have gotten to know each other over the last two years. Mm -hmm. I really, really admire the woman that you are Thank and the you. mother that you are. You be in so much pain. Oh, yeah. Be so tired. Oh, yeah. And I feel so guilty sometimes. Right. You <laughs> do stuff. Like, you, even like right now, yeah. this is your day off. You have to work tonight. Yeah. But we needed this. I just try to do whatever little thing I can to just help you along because I wish that I could just do more. It's a lot with the organizing, but what makes it easier is their support system at the union because they're trying to get everybody to understand this is what the union does. It's it's not just about, you know, regulating contracts or, you know, work week, you know, regulation. No, it's about people caring about each other. I was told when I got hired, don't say anything. Whatever happens, just go with the flow. Don't say anything. Now I have a voice when I walk in there. I have an answer. When I stay late, it encourages me to keep fighting more. When they write me up or, or they say, or the threats are being written up, it makes me fight more. We need this. I need it. Our children need it. Even when I see the young people that's coming in, I don't want them going through what I when I'm going through or the threat of them losing their jobs and they have families. They might want to buy a house. They might want to buy a car to make their lives better. They don't want to be on welfare. So if we have the union and these young people can come in and have job security for 20 or 30 years, that's what we're fighting for, to have a pension. And that's what I told them. You'll be able to tell your kids, I don't need you because I'm going to have a pension in the end of all of this. Retire with dignity. I would be able to retire with dignity. So if I have a pension or I can retire with dignity and I have a pension and a 401k and a savings, I don't have to allow my daughter. Because my son is autistic. He's a man, but he's disabled. He won't be able to help mommy. My daughter, what about her? What if she wants to get married or have a child or start a family? 
She can't help mommy take care of my son. We need this union so that I can get back to everyday living. The word that comes up for me is dignity. Not just dignity to retire, but dignity to work. The possibility of a union could provide that. Yes. And has provided it over the course of history, but mm -hmm. we're still so far away from mm -hmm. workplaces that actually provide dignity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and a living wage Yes, mm -hmm. and necessary benefits mm -hmm. for people who need them. After that audit fight, I was fascinated by the union. I'm going to say I use fascinated because I was like in awe of when we won that. I'm a stickler for rules. Mm -hmm. You, I will follow your rules. Mm -hmm. I asked for this job. I got this job. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do my job. Right. But I'm also going to make sure you do what you're supposed to do. Right. And I love that, the fact that workers actually want to be able to say stuff on the job. They want to be able to voice their opinion mm -hmm. without having to worry about being fired. Mm -hmm. The difference between a contract and an employee handbook, because at our job, everybody says, if you follow the employee handbook, you won't get fired. And that's another thing that's the difference between a union mm -hmm. contract and employee handbook. In our organizing, we discovered that an employee handbook can change at any time. You can be following what it says, and you walk in, and they say, well, now this is the new policy. So again... We, they use that at our job, too. You, you know, we don't need a contract. We have the employee handbook, and it's like a union. It's union-like, and I'm like, <laughs> it's not. The union doesn't change. It's a contract. It's non-breakable. But with the employee handbook, it fluctuates according to the whim of the employer. They force you when you walk in, as soon as that policy change, you, everybody has to sign that policy change, and it's enforceable. And that's another reason why you don't have the job security. Because you might be following the old way, and here it is, they changed it, now you can get fired. I think the strongest thing I've learned about being involved, just getting people to unify, getting people to actually sit down and hear each other out, and just get to know each other, has been the most powerful for me. I know these people now. I know how many children they got. I know some of their struggles, and they know some of mine. And even though we may disagree on certain things, we know how to, to agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. Bringing people together and how much people actually care. Because mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard about when we did the FAST, and it was when the school district gave 1,200 employees a pink slip. I was asked to be a part of the fast for safe schools. I jumped right in and was like, yeah, I'll do it and everything, not even thinking about what that meant until I, it was time to actually do it. That means I can't eat. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then I thought about it. Like, who's going to care that I'm sitting out there starving? That was my question. Like, who's going to care? The first day into it, I started seeing that people actually do care. People actually come out and want to know, why are you doing this? And when you tell them why, they like, are you kidding me? What? Mm -hmm. These people are the same. These people that they're getting rid of are the people that's protecting my children and my grandchildren. At that time, I still had a daughter that was still in school. These are the people that's watching my children when they're not in the classroom. The teacher is responsible for them in the class. But when they leave out of that classroom, they got to walk through them hallways, go to the bathrooms, go to recess, go to lunch. And these are the people that's watching out for them. In my eyes... The governor was saying to me, you don't care as much about my children as you do about yours because I bet you your child has protection in their school. I bet you you know your child is safe, but I can't say the same thing. And that's what made me angry, and that's why I did the fast. And when I explained that to people, it just seemed like 
drones of people just started coming around wanting to know my story about why I was starving. For people I don't even know. It made me realize, like, I never really sat and thought about it until then. You're going to get rid of these people? No. No. Yeah. Again, the union helps about Philadelphia. It's going to help our Philadelphia families. Mm -hmm. For real. It's going to cause people to come together as a community. And that's what the bosses are scared of. Mm -hmm. They don't want They don't that's want communities. That's exactly what they're scared of. They don't want communities. I see Center City growing. Mm -hmm. It's coming up everywhere you turn your building. Mm -hmm. But in our neighborhoods, it's not flourishing like that. Mm -mm. When you bring communities together, first you start with people on their jobs. Mm -hmm. But these same people live in these communities. Mm -hmm. So if you're bringing them together on a job, they're afraid that that's going to bring them together in the community. That's and when you bring the happen. communities together to fight, oh, that's that's a whole nother can that's of worms it. that you're opening. You understand what I'm that's saying? That's a and it's very going to make, big power shift. Yes. And it's going to make the political leaders have to work because they need our vote. So that's why I'm saying everything starts with just a small seed and it'll become a tree. And then we'll get the power of the people back. That's what the corporations are afraid of. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're trying to break everybody and keep everybody divided and conquered. I'm working with somebody from banquets in the organized. I'm working with somebody from the kitchen in organized. I'm working with other housekeepers that I didn't even eat lunch with. I mean, I used to be like high and by and very cordial. I mean, now it's like we hug each other like, hey, we all in this fight together. And when we do a delegation where we come to fight for another worker or speak in their behalf, we had that situation where the workers, like we were trying to organize, so we had to fight for one of our workers. They were giving them a hard time. When we came downstairs, banquet worker, housekeeper, somebody from the kitchen, somebody that did the dishwasher, and we came down, the management was really like shook up. What are y'all doing here? Then they're not used to that. The sense of solidarity and building communities, it's something that I'm deeply invested in, my own community yes. organizing work. And I want to know, we like to offer our listeners ways that they can help support. How can Philadelphians who are listening to this podcast join you all in solidarity? Is there anything that they can do? Oh, yes, a lot of They can things. walk into the Marriott and tell them to give us a, a fair <laughs> process. <laughs> so the one thing is education. Yeah. Listening to this podcast is one. Reading mm -hmm. newspapers, listening to the news, see what's going on in your community. Mm -hmm. So listening, reading, just paying attention to what's going on to your community, talking to other people. People are afraid to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Listen to their stories. A lot of people talk to me when I'm on the train, when I'm on the bus, and they tell me their stories. There's also the People's Forum. It's a City Council Candidate Forum, March the 24th at 3 p.m., 615 North Broad Street. That's where it's going to be at. And we would love it if as many people, you could bring your friends, your mm -hmm. family. This is for everyone. And we're trying to get as many people as we can to come out to that. So if you want to be find out who's running for City Council, who you want to vote for. And this is a great way to come out and find out more about the candidates mm -hmm. and see what their platform is. Yeah, and there is a platform that's offered by the Alliance for a Just Philadelphia, which Unite Here and Reclaim Philadelphia are both organizations that right. are part of that. And there's a platform that centers workers' rights, and it mm -hmm. also centers like a lot of other issues that are affecting Philadelphia, calls for this solidarity and this support and this building communities and shifting the power back to the people that I know Absolutely. the three of us are all very invested mm -hmm. in. Yes. Thank you all for talking with me today. Thank you, thank you. Well, I thank you for giving us the opportunity and to also, say too, something. And also, too, don't forget the power of the vote. Yes. Yes, get out and vote. Yes, May 21st <laughs> this year, and you can hear more from candidates about where they stand on issues that affect all of us. 
To help support the fight of unionization in our city, make sure to come out to the People's Forum on March 24th that Erlene mentioned at the end of her interview. This is your chance to hear from city council candidates on where they stand on issues that impact all Philadelphians. You can find event details on our website at reclaimphiladelphia.org. Thanks for listening to Our Political Moment. This show is produced by Reclaim Philadelphia. Our team includes Sergio Sea, Kelly Morton, and me, Leah Sorrentino. Special thanks to our storyteller, Catherine Payne, and Unite Here organizer, Erlene Bly, and Kat for their interview. The music for this episode is provided by Callow Hill. You can find both songs on our website at reclaimphiladelphia.org. Want to subscribe to Our Political Moment? You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, or on our website. And we always want to hear from you. Make sure to comment on this episode with your thoughts or questions about the show. 